This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. Sadly, we are not discussing a routine home win over Burnley, but Everton do not seem to do routine home victories anymore. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, and today joining me, Adam Jones, Dave Prentice, and Gavin Buckland, as we chew the fat to thieve Phil Kirkbride of his team <laughs> over that dismal defeat at Goodison Park. These defeats coming becoming quite routine now. Adam, you were there. We'll start with you. Mm-hmm. What went wrong? Uh, wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that much. Uh, it's really, it's really just hard to put your finger on what went wrong, isn't it? Because it's, it, I feel like I've seen the, the exact same home performance about six or seven times from Everton uh, over over the last few months. You know, just add Burnley to the this ever growing list of just frustrating home games. Uh, you know, Newcastle, Leeds, West Ham, Fulham. You know, these teams. You know, regardless of how well West Ham are doing. You, Etc. You know these teams shouldn't be coming to Goodison and winning in the in the manner that they are. But every single time, Everton are just allowing them to do so. And you know it was yet again in in this Burnley game. You know we in the pre-match podcast we were talking about you know Everton's need to you know start this game on the front foot and you know press Burnley from the opening minutes. And to be honest, I, th- I think they actually did do that for the first five or ten minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought. It actually was a fairly promising start. You know, we'll get on to talking about the Wobi. I thought he had a pretty promising start in that attacker midfield role. But then, you know, it just all just all kind of capitulated. Burnley just took control of the midfield battle in particular and uh, got two goals from it. You know, two. Well, the second goal in particular was an absolute worldy, to be fair to uh, Dwight McNeil. But from that point on, Everton just never really looked like getting back into the game, even when Calvert-Lewin scored. Mm. And, you know, just before half-time, you're coming into the second half and you're thinking, well, are Everton actually going to are Everton actually gonna fight their way back into this? Because we've seen, we've seen it all before. And there were large portions of that second half where Burnley looked like they were the most likely team to go on and score again, which I think just really isn't good enough from Everton. And, you know, for a side that's meant to have these aspirations of European football, you know, they, these are the kind of results that's going to harm you at the end of the day. It's not going to Chelsea and and losing at Stamford Bridge because, you know, you, you can account for results like that and you can account maybe for losing against a side like Burnley, but this isn't an isolated incident anymore. You know, you've lost to Burnley, Fulham, Newcastle. You know, they, they, it just keeps keeps on happening. And, you know, whether you, it's down to the fans or whether there's some sort of mental block, you know, Carlo Ancelotti needs to find a way to sort this out for Everton because it is getting like Groundhog Day at the minute with these with these dreadful performances at home, and it, it does need to change. Uh, I'll come to you then on on Alex Awobi. It was uh, it was quite w- well handled by Carl Ancelotti in his press conference before the game when he was told about that kind of cryptic message that Awobi had put on social media or playing in his preferred position. It was it almost seemed like a bit of a, a challenge to me where he was saying, you know, he started them in that kind of number ten role and and said, go on then, show me what you can do, and then. I think Phil Kirkbride wrote a piece on it. Uh, yes, he was eventually put out to the right-hand side. His crossing uh, percentage, he put in five crosses, completed crosses, 0%. His overall rate for the season is 20%. I don't think it's good enough for an Everton right-winger. Well, 
what did you make of his performance overall? Though did you did you agree with Adam? Did you think he started brightly, or does he need to do more? Sorry, was that to me, Sam? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hundred percent agree with Adam. And you know, and it, it, to me, it did come across like a challenge from Carlo. Um, it was almost like, all right, you know, you've told me that you want to play number ten. Here you are, you know, against Burnley. You know, so a side yeah. that we need to break down. Let's see what you can do. And entirely agree with Adam that you know, so for ten or fifteen minutes, he looked quite bright. You know, he was getting about the pitch. He was uh, pinging, you know, short ten, fifteen, you know, so yard passes around. And uh, I actually joked to some of the people I was watching the game with that maybe that's the secret to getting the best out of him, keep him away from the wide areas where he can't, you know, sort of cross the road uh, to, you know, sort of keep him in the middle, you know, so where he's you know, actually spreading the play a little bit. But he's a professional footballer. You've got to be better than that. You can't be pigeonholed into one single position where you can perform. Yeah. And then if you have to perform in a different position, you suddenly can't do it. I mean, look at, you know, Ben Godfrey, for example, or, you know, so Gilfie Sigurdsson, you know, so we've been asked to play in various positions and have done so far more successfully. I'm afraid if Alexi Wilby is limiting himself to only playing that number 10 role, he's not going to get much football at Goodison Park. Uh, he's got to do better than that when he is asked to go you know, wide. And I did fear, you know, so when he made that reshuffle and he pushed him out into a wide position, that, you know, that early that bright finish was going to suddenly dissipate and it did so it just disappeared totally and that was one of the reasons why we didn't really create enough opportunities i mean that was the reason why we lost the game again we didn't create enough openings burnley yeah. scored two great goals but you know we created one good opening for dominic calvert lewin in the first half and one in the second half from an absolutely magnificent luca dean cross it was so good on his right foot that i don't think calvert lewin was expecting it which is why yeah. maybe, you know, so he slightly, you know, miscued it off his shoulder a little bit. But that was it in the second half. And I think our, you know, chance conversion percentage this season or something is really, really high. We are converting a much higher number of our chances that we create than any other team in the Premier League. But we're needing to because we're not creating enough. Now, is yeah. that because of the system? Is it because we haven't got enough creative players in the team? Certainly at the weekend with Sigurdsson not being, you know, there with, you know, so Hamas Rodriguez not being there, probably that was the case. But I think that's the reason you know, why we're failing in so many of these home games. We're just not creating enough opportunities at the moment. Bizarrely, we were at the start of the season. Think to the West Brom game, the Brighton game. Uh, you know, So what can Carlo do to try and get back to that? Does it mean going gung-ho again, going wide open and taking your chances? I, I don't know the answer, to be honest. But that was deeply disappointing. You know, Of all the games and all the disappoint disappointments we've had this season, that for me was probably the most disappointing so far. What are your thoughts on what we got? Uh, uh, on Saturday, I can only add to what's been said already. I don't think he went out wide because he was failing as a number ten. He was went out wide because the midfield formation wasn't uh, wasn't working, was it? It wasn't picked correctly. Um, so I don't think I think that sort of unsettled him. Um, yeah. And the stats speak for himself. Out wide, don't be really that. I mean, was it West Brom the other week? Did he have an absolute? Was it West Brom he had a uh, um playing? Wise, right? It's just not his role. So a little bit of sympathy there for him. Um because I think he, he moved outside out wide because the failings of others really, not himself. Um but it's a difficult one for to manage, isn't it? Really, I suppose, because when it comes to number tens, he's probably third choice, isn't he? Which we spoke about last week. You know, you'd have Sigurdsson and Hamas if, if fully fit and far and they're ahead of him, perhaps, but yeah, I don't think Iwobi was our biggest problem on Saturday, though, to be honest with you. I think there was bigger issues for us. 
do you want to see more of a Wobie in the number 10 than Adam? Um, it's really hard to judge going by that performance, isn't it? Because it was something that I mentioned in our podcast last week, you know, yeah. like as Gav has rightly pointed out there, you know, we've got James Rodriguez, who I still think his best position is a uh, player in that sort of free role in behind the strikers. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Gilfie Sigurdsson has obviously stepped up over the last few weeks and months and his goal contributions have been really impressive in his own right. So I think those two are both ahead of Wobi in the pecking order. Like, Wobi, I think he put in a promise in 10, 10 or 15 minutes, as we've said there. And I don't necessarily think it was his fault that uh, he was pushed out wide in the end because I think it was just the formation that Everton set up with just that diamond. I think Burnley were completely ready for that diamond when it when it came and it was just it was just never really gonna work. Uh, so once once Burnley went 2-0 up, I think it was just that number 10 position needed to be sacrificed, which is a bit of a shame for a woe because as I say, the, I think he did look promising. You know, he set up uh, the, the first shot of the game for Richarlison about three minutes in with a nice little pass before Richarlison had a good run and forced a save out of Nick Pope. But aside from that, I can't really pick out one key moment that he had in that number 10 role, yeah. which, you know, I, I understand that he had a limited amount of time to try and prove himself in the, in that sense. But, you know, it's still... It, 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 I didn't see anything that's going to make me think, oh, he, when, you know, you're expecting Gilfie Sigurdsson to be fifth for the next game, expecting Hamas Rodriguez to be fifth after the international break. Uh, so, like, where does where does a Wobi get his chance again at number ten? I just don't, I don't necessarily see it to be honest. And I think he still can work out wide. Uh, I still think he, he he maybe works out out on the uh, out on the left better than he does on the right. Uh, so I think we probably need to be looking to sign a right winger in the summer. But as a, as a number ten, I just can't like. Whereas he did show some slight promising signs, I just don't think that's enough. Yeah. Like he, for the, again, as I say, for the uh, for the aspirations that Everton have got from now until the end of the season, you know, is Alex Awobi going to be the number ten who is going to fire Everton to Europe? Yeah, don't think so. To be honest, I think it's going to be more likely to be someone like Ahmed Rodriguez or an informed Gilfie Sigurdsson that's going to be able to do that. So, regardless of whether Awobi wants to play there more often in the future, I just don't see how that's going to happen. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. To stick with the uh, with the right hand side, then Prell, you, you speak about us not being able to create chances. Is is the right fullback position be, becoming a little bit of a an area of concern at the moment? I think it was clear. Well, it's clear yeah. at every passing game that Mason Holgate isn't the answer at right back. It seems really important that that's a position that. Everton upgrade on in the summer, doesn't it? But how do we kind of plug that gap between now and the end of the season, especially with, you know, Seamus Coleman spending large parts of the campaign out injured? Well, that was the problem at the weekend, definitely. I mean, I, I was calling for Seamus Coleman to come on, you know, yeah. from late in the first half even. Mason Holgate wasn't having one of his better days. I think uh, we have a little game in our house where we try and predict Adam's player ratings on the final whistle. And, uh, you, know, so you shouldn't have told life. me that's a game. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's a good way of bringing a little bit of light into a very, very gloomy day. Mm. And uh, you know, everyone sat around the room and it's like, oh, come on then, Jordan Pickford. And I think there were one or two of our, 
Mason Holgate, everyone got your four out of ten absolutely spot on. <laughs> so you. You know, it, it was a universal uh, acceptance that he wasn't having one of his better afternoons. And to me, a game like that needed somebody like Seamus Coleman, who is much better going forward you know, than he is at the back. Uh, we needed a bit more penetration. We needed somebody just given an option higher up the pitch and somebody who can deliver a bit more quality in the final third. And I was a little bit surprised that, you know, uh, Carlo left it. It wasn't that late. It was like, you know, half an hour to go. But even to leave it as late as that before he finally introduced him. Um, I mean, that is something that we, we will need. It depends on whether Hammers is available or not and whether he's filling that role, whether he's playing number 10. Uh, but I think when you're playing a team at home that you're looking to break down who are playing two rigid banks of four, I think the Seamus Coleman has to be the option, you know, so all day long rather than Mason Holgate. Nothing against Mason. You know, he's had a good solid enough season, just didn't have one of his best days at the weekend. Uh, but in a game like that, your fullbacks are really important. I mean, as we said before, when Luca Dean, you know, sort of created the only really good chance of the second half, you know, with a cross from well, the wrong side, really. Um, but, you know, you expect your fullbacks to try and pitch in, you know, with that kind of creativity. And, you know, we limited ourselves to only doing that from one flank at, at the weekend. It all depends on, you know, the opposition as to whether you do that, you know, for the between now and the rest of the season. You know, for argument's sake, a game against Crystal Palace at home, you would probably hope to see Seamus, you know, so in for that one, you know, so rather than Mason Holgate, uh, and then if it's, you know, so a Manchester City, you know, for argument's sake, maybe you'd look at the Holgate option. Uh, horses for courses, but, you know, Carlo is very, very good at doing. But yeah, there's no doubt that, you know, we needed a little bit more uh, from the wide areas at the weekend. And Seamus could have provided that, I thought. Mm. I think, to be fair, like I was speaking to Michael Ball a little bit earlier, and it would be in his column on the site a bit later but he thinks that Mason Holgate was chosen because of the system and I do kind of agree that you know if we were playing that narrow diamond in midfield there's not really any defensive cover in front of the right back or the left back for that matter uh, really if if we're going to be playing that system so that's maybe why Holgate was preferred because he is a little bit better defensively and if Burnley were going to try and attack down that flank he's a bit but he's a bit better in that sense but you know, I, I do kind of agree with you, really. Like, it, it's not Mason's fault because he is—he isn't a right back; he is a centre back. But there were a lot of times when you know he was getting forward into the right areas, especially in those first 10, 10 or fifteen minutes. You know, when we were playing quite well, he'd get the ball and he'd look into the box and then he'd cross it in. And you know, I think nine times out of ten, it's just overhit, isn't it? It's not really—it's not really an aimed cross that you know somebody like Luca Dean can put in from the opposite flank. It is just a kind of hit it and hope sort of thing from Holgate. And as I say, it's not really it's not really necessarily his fault because it's not his position. But yeah, I think that may be maybe a little bit of an insight as to why he started instead of Coleman. But saying that once we'd switch formation, I think that was probably the time to take Holgate off and put Coleman on. And you know, I think we maybe waited a little bit too long to make that substitution. Yeah, to, to move forward to the to the midfield, Gilfie Sigurdsson Kind of lost his fitness rate and, and only made the bench. It was Tom Davies, Alan, and Andre Gomez that started. But you know there was a massive Abdullah Decore shaped hole in that team at the weekend, wasn't it? How do you think Carlo goes about solving that for the next eight to ten weeks? You know we might not see Decore again. Yeah. We might not see Debamon this season. It seems like a really kind of yeah. crucial time to have lost Decore. What? What's next for the midfield? Um, well, I, 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 I said last week, Sam. Yeah, I was going to say, how long is this pod? Um, I said <laughs> last week, 
telling that my my preferred option would be four two three one and play yeah. Alan and Davies uh, holding and F three um, offensive players. You know, Hammers uh, names off the head, but the, the Charleston Hammers Sigurdsson, Callum, up top because I don't I, and and I didn't see anything on on Saturday that that sort of deterred me from that opinion really. Um, I know Phil did piece yesterday and I spoke to him on Saturday night that you know Alan does need somebody by him because. You know, we said last week, he's not a natural... I think there's a difference between a midfielder with defensive qualities and a defensive midfielder. I know that sounds a bit... <laughs> I think they're two, two completely different uh, roles. And Alan is, to me, a midfielder with defensive qualities. When yeah. he was at Napoli, he played 4-3-3. He didn't, he didn't play defensive midfielder in the three plays, one of the, like, the Tom Davis or Gomez yeah. roles on, on, on Saturday. So it was, it was a bit much for him to, to shield the back four, especially as on Saturday, especially Davis and Gomez didn't really sat back and that's not really their game. So um, I didn't see anything. Diamond doesn't work. I don't think 4-3-3 works uh, because they're flat. The three players, I think, I've got some qualities. Um, I, I think 4-2, I won't create much. Uh, to be to be honest with you, yeah, I mean, Gomez is of one assist the season, mate, isn't he? And so is Tom, and so is Alan. Um, so I, I would play four, two, three, one. And um, to be honest with you, um, fair enough. I think four, one, you know, four, one, two, one, two, whatever you would call a diamond works uh, for us with the, with the players we've got. So what said last week, Sam, know that. Not sure whether Carlo is a big fan of four two three one. It's not probably a system he's played a lot during his yeah on his aerial career. So in other words, I don't I don't, <laughs> I don't know what we did <laughs> other than uh, other than other than experiment. But you, you Alan can't play a solo midfielder on his own. Is what I'm saying. So if he's got to play there, play four two three one. It's a strange one to to look at Alan really, isn't it, Adam? Because I think. Okay, but I wrote a piece about him yesterday which did point out that he hasn't really, he still hasn't played a lot of Premier League football. I think he's only made 14 or 15 appearances. He obviously had that hamstring injury before Christmas. And Everton obviously bought him in as part of a package. The core was the kind of legs around him. And ironically, they haven't really got the chance to, to play together too many times. So do you think we're still yet to see the best of Alan? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, over the last couple of weeks, it's kind of... It's it's kind of a shame that you know the Decore injury has meant that we've had to accelerate the need for Alan to be back to his best, isn't it? Because yeah. you know, let's be honest, he missed a, a, a very large portion of games through his uh, through his hamstring injury. It's not an easy injury to come back from. So I, I I would probably suggest that he's not fully back to full match fitness yet. Yet we are we like we're in the position now where we kind of need him to be. And I think you know that probably that Burnley game. Yeah, uh, did did show that he, you know, he wasn't he wasn't quite up to it, really, was it? I think you know probably that uh, that second goal was a big a big indicator of that getting beaten to the ball by McNeil before obviously McNeil produces an absolute worldy, uh, and then I think he gives the ball away uh, just 
for their one that hits the post as well. I think it was Alan who gave the ball away for that. Yeah. So you know, it, 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 it he's he's probably not back up to his best, and I think it it is a little bit frustrating that we've had to you know kind of kind of rush him back in a way, uh, thanks to to Corey's injury. But you now I think I think you're completely right in the fact that we haven't really seen the best from Alan because even. Even before he had this long-term injury layoff, he did have a bit of it, like one slight injury issue, didn't he? Before, I think that was that another hamstring issue that he had in like uh, just a couple of months into the start of the season, which was which was frustrating him a little bit. So, yeah, he, he's he's not really been fully fit. I would I would say for the majority of his game time, and as Phil quite rightly points out, he's not really had all that much game time either. So, it, in a way, it kind of it kind of shows how impressive he has been uh, right at the start of the season. Uh, to be honest, you know, to come in and you know, prove himself early doors uh, in such a manner, you know, it's just about finding a system that's going to be able to bring the, that best out of him again. Maybe that is, you know, getting getting legs about him. Uh, I would argue, I would, pro- I would probably agree that a four-two-three-one is probably what I'd I'd want to see. Yeah, personally, I think him and. Davis probably next to each other. Yeah. Uh, is, as the two. Sigurdsson yeah. obviously has got a lot of legs in front of them if he plays as a number 10. So, you know, maybe maybe that that'd be the best way around it. But uh yeah, I think in ter- in terms of Alan, it's it is quite frustrating uh, in a sense that we're not going to be able to see him into Corey probably until next season now, properly in a sense. But uh, you know, the signs that we've had of those two as a pair have been strong enough for me to, you know look forward to when that's going to happen. And I think Alan, you know, Alan obviously can be a success without Decore. I don't think it's, I don't think he needs Decore next to him to to be a, a strong player for Everton. But maybe, you know, as Gav rightly says, maybe it's about playing him a little bit further forward, not consider him as, a, as, the, uh, as the defensive midfielder, maybe put Davis in that defensive midfield role because I think he's maybe a tiny little bit more suited to that. So, you know, we'll... We'll see, obviously, over the next couple of weeks, but I think it's a solution that's well worth trying, to be honest, because what we're what we're doing at the minute isn't working, is it? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Welcome back, Preno. Preno just decided to, uh, <laughs> to leave us for a couple of minutes there. <laughs> I, I see issues, but you know, it's, uh, they've been resolved. <laughs> Gav, uh, I seen Preno actually shared something on uh, on Twitter today about Dominic Calvert Lewin is the leading goal scorer in the Premier League if you if you count non penalty uh, goals. I think he's scored all yeah. fourteen yeah. from open play this season. But it was a it was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performance against Burnley, wasn't it? What did what did you make of it? He scored, didn't he? That's a good start, didn't he? He scored. He scored three or four. Uh, he? If he was if he had his. Uh, if he had uh, his uh, that's my next point. And my next point here, Sam, really, is that I still think he's nowhere near the finished article, Cavaloon. Technically, I don't think he needs to improve. I mean, this, I mean, it was a great ball, wasn't it, by Alan in the first half? You know, the one with the outside of his foot? Yeah. yeah. Um, the care into Cavaloon perfectly. Well, should have done better there, should have done better one in the second half. And, you know, it's a feast in this game if the ball is hit onto him on on an unhealthy number of occasions. He fails to control it in around the penalty area. Yeah. Uh, and the ball runs loose. And I think 
I think some of that is, uh, you know, technique needs to improve. I think also as well, you might have seen him use his left foot on occasions. Um, one of my beefs in uh, football is for all these talk of marginal gains. Most obvious gain you can have in football is getting players to kick well with both feet. Uh, you find that kind of helps. And uh, I thought about West Brom. You know, the fancy Mr. West Brom where he is today to the keeper. Yeah. He's crying out for the left foot to finish that. Yeah. Rather than let the ball go across. Cross, yeah. Hit the ball there with the left foot. You know, the FBI uses it. And that lets him down when it comes to close control and stuff. So, yeah, you are right. It's a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performance. Um, but there's lots of lots of things there to improve, which is the good news, I suppose. Um, you know, it's by no means a finished article, but he has Preno said, like, um, you know, the leading man penalty goal score in the, in the Premier League. So that's uh, that's saying something, isn't it? Um, but uh, it was disappointing, really, from Carlin, but he wasn't, wasn't the only one, was he, really? Carlo keeps threatening to do it, Preno, but games are running out for us to see Josh King start a game for Everton. Do you think we'll ever... He's becoming a little bit like Jabamon now. I don't even know if the two of them exist anymore. Yeah, I find it a bit confusing sometimes as to why we're not seeing a little bit more of him. Um, you know, the, the, the fleeting you know glimpses we've seen He's looked relatively bright, you know, he's got pace, he's got strength, and it just offers something a little bit, you know, so different. Uh, but then, you know, Carlo's asked about him, he continually tells us that, you know, he's happy with how he's performing and how he's training, and he will get opportunities, but then he doesn't. So, you know, I don't know quite, you know, so what, what the situation is. I mean, it would be obvious, you know, if he was playing, you know, so 4-3-3 for, you know, Josh King to play in one of the, the wider positions, or, you know, allow Richarlison to switch around a little bit. Uh, but the messages seem mixed all the time. Um, you know, despite being happy with what he's seeing from him at Finch Farm, he then doesn't get the, given the opportunity at the weekend. I mean, to be fair, he got was busy half an hour at the weekend. It was, you know, it's probably the longest you know he's had yet, um, and didn't really you know so sort of do a great deal in that time to suggest that you know he warranted being brought on even earlier. Uh, but it's different, as uh, you know, it gives you an option. It's something a little you know, a bit of variety for Burnley to worry about. Um, but I don't know. Simple answer. I don't know why he's uh, not giving him more of a run than he is at the moment. Uh, we're not exactly blessed with their forward options right now, and you know he seems to be one. And yeah, for whatever reason, he's not using him. Does anybody else know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it it is interesting, isn't it? Because I thought I thought when he came on against Burnley, he looked you know a little bit lively at least. But you know, again, it, it's it's a similar thing to a Wobie. You know, he, he had. Nice little intricate bit of link-up play, maybe with Charlison, but did he did he really show all that much? You know, maybe it's a maybe it's harsh to try and judge him on that game in particular because you know Everton were in general pretty rubbish against Burnley. But you know, from a shot from him. <laughs> no, well that's it. Like, he, he had he had one where he picked up the ball and he was like bearing down towards the area, and I was thinking, oh here we go, he's going to have a shot here. And he tried. Yeah. He tried to just lay it off to somebody else outside the box. And I was like, "Well, if you if you're a striker who's trying to prove yourself at a new club, you know, you're on a short term deal. You you know, I presume he's probably trying to get a longer term deal. You know, does he not need to be, you know, pushing pushing the agenda a little bit more? You know, maybe I'm, yeah. maybe I'm being a, being a bit harsh, but you know, he, he did get a significant amount of time against Burnley, and I, I still don't think he really 
I still don't think I really know what his best attributes are, what his position going forward is going to be for Everton and what he's actually going to be able to to bring to this team because I was under the impression when he signed in January that he'd be, you know, the backup to Calvert-Lewin, you know, that we haven't really had since Moise Keane left on loan. But yeah. he, he doesn't seem to really be like that at all. Like, Carl Ancelotti seems to think of him more as a winger, almost like almost like an Awobi. <laughs> like, for, for want of a better example, you know, somebody, I know he came on on the left, but somebody's coming on the left and do what Iwobi was doing on the right, essentially. And that's just that's just not really what I, what I thought I was going to be able to see from Josh King so far. So, yeah, I think, to be honest, is... I think he probably got half an hour or so, maybe against Burnley, and I think that just that raised a few more questions for me than it really provided answers. I'm Preno Carl Ancelotti is going to have, I think, every bone in his body crossed this week that he has a, a fully fit senior keeper for what is going to be the biggest game of the season. I think on on Saturday, isn't he? We definitely need Jordan Pickford or Robin Olsen to to be available for the Manchester City game. Yeah, I was thinking that at the time, you know, when he went off. The one game that you want Jordan Pickford available for is a game like Manchester City, where you know he's going to be busy, you know, so concentration tends not to be like a, as much of an issue. And where he's capable of producing those absolutely spectacular saves that, you know, sort of defy goals that maybe Robin Olsen doesn't do. Robin Olsen gives you more of the, you know, the reassurance and the, the calm head. But Jordan Pickford produces those, you know, sort of special moments, which you'll need to against the team like Man City and it's ironic that he's been in decent form recently as well I know Chelsea and people talk about the penalty that was conceded but you know some of the other saves he made that game and some of the saves he's made in recent weeks suggest that he was approaching a really good spell of form at the moment and so you dearly want him to be available um, it, it's a concern I mean we're still waiting to hear what the results of the scan will be and uh, you hope that he's going to be available uh, for the weekend because you know and I don't know what Robin Olsen's situation is as well, but, you know, it's a lot to ask of a young lad like Joe Virginia, who we know is a good shot stopper. Uh, but, you know, he's a very, very young lad who's, you know, so very, very inexperienced. And, you know, to throw him into a game of that magnitude would be asking an awful lot. So just keeping our fingers crossed, yeah. I mean, absolutely right there. You know, a fully fit squad to choose from is important, but your goalkeeper, your first choice goalkeeper in a game like that, that you desperately want available. Where then, Gav, now that the dust is settling on the defeat, I was saying to Adam last night that it was, it was such a kick to the gut after losing to Burnley, but it is such a crazy season in that if we win game, our game in hand on Chelsea, we're still only two points off fourth. If someone would have gave you that scenario at the start of the season, you, you, you know, with 10 games to go, you'd have bit the hands off. Where, where do you kind of currently see us? Do you still think... We are family. Do you think we're in the race for Champions League still? Do you think we're, or is it now more trying to kind of get ourselves into the Europa League? Uh, I was asked that question two weeks ago and uh, on the pod and I said that I thought we were in the race for the, the Champions League still. Um, but I think these these two defeats have, and the manner of them in their different yeah. ways of. Uh, showed up the shortcomings of the team, and obviously since then, that two weeks, the core is, you know, injuries being confirmed, which is probably more damaging in some respects than the two defeats um, for the rest of the season. So I think your 
I mean, I, I, get, I, get, I get that thing a lot of people have heard. I've heard a lot over the weekend saying if you just said at the start of the season, sixth, blah, 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 we'd be made up with that. But I haven't seen that. We're judging that by a normal season, aren't we? But yeah. it's been an abnormal season, so actually we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, I, I, I'm not necessarily of the opinion at the moment that we, we are where we are because of the natural progression of, of, of what we've done. I think that's definitely part of it, but part of that is also the way the season is and the results that have happened. Um, so I don't necessarily think it's something to take comfort for for next season. I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, yeah. So I think definitely in the European places, I'm slightly concerned of that at the moment, that when you see, I was going to say Spurs have got a decent number, but you know, they lost yesterday, West Ham lost yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? That's the same thing about it. Not for the first time, we wasted a couple of defeats for our rivals um, yeah. by losing ourselves. So, in the race, top four things beyond us um, for a number of reasons, I've yeah. just explained. You're definitely, but oh, I, I still I think that's probably a harder job than what it was a four nights ago as well, uh, which players I've picked up. Still have a sneaking suspicion Arsenal might take caught on the rails. We've still got to go there, haven't we? And I think they're six yeah. points behind us. So that gap can close quite easily. Um, so I wouldn't even say Europe is a given at this stage. We need to up, up, basically we need to up our game from the Burnley performance. The next two weeks, Adam, we, we have Man City in the FA Cup quarterfinal and then it's Crystal Palace at home and Brighton away. It does now seem we could be having a totally different conversation if we're sat here in two weeks' time in an FA Cup semi-final. And with six more points on the board, couldn't oh, we? After the international break, then two league games. And the international break, yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think certainly, but I think it, I think Gav's last point there is quite pertinent. Like, we need to, we need to up our game regardless. Yeah. I think there's, there's no two ways about it. I think, you know, the, the warning signs were really there if we're honest, uh, in the wins over Southampton and West Brom, weren't they? Because yeah. I don't think they were necessarily convincing wins by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, I think at the time we were quite rightly saying, you know, three points is three points, which is, you know, the that was the important thing. But, you know, those those bad performances have come back to bite us at the end of the day. And, you know, we got we got lucky in, in a sense in the Southampton and West Brom games that, you know, the opposition didn't, didn't punish us for our mistakes in those games. Uh, Burnley did. <laughs> they, they they were quite they were quite ruthless in fact in punishing us for those mistakes and you know Man City are only going to make that worse I think Crystal Palace over the last few weeks you know I think especially their game against Brighton recently you know Brighton absolutely battered them for ninety minutes yeah and they got beat because Palace punished both of their mistakes they made yeah and you know that that that's the kind of game you know at home again to a like a side that's you know battling it out in the bottom half of the table they, that, that's the kind of game that we've been losing so far. This season, uh, the away game against Brighton, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit less concerned about. But you know, it 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 it, it does just feel it, it puts a different complexion on those on those games now that we've had these two you know two defeats in you know very different circumstances against Chelsea and Burnley. But they were both pretty demoralising in a way. Against Chelsea, we didn't really offer anything of note at all, and against Burnley, it was just the same old passive dismal home performance so yeah. you know it, 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 unless unless Everton can turn those those kinds of performances around then you know we it doesn't matter who we're going to be playing in the next three games really like it, it's 
it's it's going to count for north. Like they they just they just need to focus on themselves. You know, the the city game's a bit of a a bit of a free ride, isn't it? Like you just yeah. got to you've just got to consider that a one off. It's a cup game. Yeah, just go out go out and have a go at them. Like what's the worst that could happen at the end of the day? Uh, but it's those it is those two league games, and you know, uh, I, I said right at the start, you know, it's these kind of games at home to your likes of Burnley that are going to define whether you get into Europe or not. And I think Palace falls into that bracket as well. Well, lads, thank you very much for joining us. Hopefully, the next time, well, we'll be back later on in the week to preview the Manchester City uh, FA Cup quarterfinal, and then hopefully we'll be talking about a big win for Everton next week. You can catch the Young Blues as well. Everton under-18s are in FA Youth Cup action on Wednesday, uh, and that'll be streamed live on the Everton YouTube channel if you fancy checking out the next stars of the future as well. And you can also join the Royal Blue Podcast group on Facebook and follow us there. We've been Sam Carroll, Adam Jones, Gav Buckland, Dave Prentice. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.